Welcome to the City Life Lansing podcast. We hope this message empowers you to love life, love Jesus, love people, and dream more. You can connect with us at citylifelansing.com. You belong here. Don't bother me. Uh, This whole series has been influenced off this book called Garden City. And last week we were in Genesis 1 looking at the origin of how God views work. We too often jump right to the effects of our sin that we have offended God and we went our own path and we say, hey God, you know, we we know that you told us to do this, but we want to choose our own route for a minute. And so we see the effects of that fall and we see the pain, we see the torment, we see the, you know, frustration, the struggle. But if we pull back, zoom out and go back to the very beginning, Genesis beginning, we're seeing that work is good. That God worked and he reflected and he said, it is good. And he worked and he reflected and said, it is good. And he worked and he reflected and said, it is good. So God is a creator. He's an engineer. He's an architect. And before we dive in, something that's on my heart just real quick is when we say you belong here, here's what this means. All ages, all races, all faces, you can belong. And here's why. If you ever got an opportunity to go to an event and you felt like you were so welcomed and it was amazing and you wanted to maybe be a part of a team or you find yourself with a certain tribe that you get along with, maybe it was laser tag for you, maybe it's golf or some, maybe it's like a sports game and maybe it's just the lugness. I'm not sure where you feel like you really groove and connect and you feel like, oh, I can come here just as I am. Too often, we don't see who Jesus really is. We see the religious order. We see the reflection of some structure of who he is in some capacity. But if we get right to the core, we pull it all back and we just jump in. Here's what happens. We find out that Jesus was the person that would stick up for the face in the crowd that was struggling with serious issues. The person that was struggling with adultery. The person that was struggling with murder. The person that's struggling with guilt, anxiety, greed, betrayal, ripping people off. Jesus was so threatening to the common order and the religious order that he was killed by religious leaders. When I meet with people sometimes, you know, they find out, they're like, oh, you're a pastor. And I'm like, it's like, yeah. I like to see it as like team lead because pastor, I have no problem with that term. That means to care for people in a deep way. And that Jesus is really the pastor. In case, if you want to really know what's going on, Jesus is the pastor. He's, he's equipped us to serve you. And that's what, how it works. So Jesus is the pastor here at City Life. And we see pastor, we think, oh gosh, you know, I can't swear. I can't drop an F-bomb. And it's so interesting because the F-bombs were dropping before if I got there or not, right? Like, and there's F-bombs going in people's heads anyway. So Jesus is not interested into our lip service. He's interested in our heart. And he was so threatening that he was accused to be a friend of sinners. I find this so interesting. To, he was so down with the low, as the world would say it. But he was offering them new life and new hope. And they were getting a glimpse of a greater vision, a greater lug nuts, a greater laser tag, a greater sports team that they could really be a part of. And here's what happens. They weren't like, Jesus, what do we have to do? They wanted to do it because they realized how much they were loved. If you've ever been guilty and you've ever done something wrong, you know what that feeling is like. The shame, the guilt, the resentment, you know, all these things build up in your heart. You don't feel like you're worthy. But when Jesus steps on the scene, you realize that he covers you, he sets you free, and then now you want to follow him. 
And there's what happens. And that's how you have the church. And the church just simply means a gathering of people. So that's why I love we meet at a school. Because people can't say they're coming to the house of God. You're coming to Pattengill. We're the house of God. The people. Right? The people. So... God's word is amazing. It's constantly reprogramming our brains and we gotta be constantly reprogrammed even just back to the basics of what does it mean to even be here today and to be set free in freedom. And the word grace is meaning this, I'm guilty. I can never make it right. But Jesus on his best day died for my worst day and I can exchange my life for his. So I pray today that somebody would get a glimpse of what it really means to be set free. A glimpse today that they can taste and see that the Lord is good, that this isn't just some exercise, this isn't just some hour where we feel good, but this is a new life. You've probably heard this, like, if you want to lose weight, like, you got to be in a, a lifestyle, not a diet, right? If you want to know Jesus, it's a lifestyle. You're going to have some ups, you're going to have some downs, but he's there for you. It's beautiful. Anyways, that had nothing to do with the message, but everything to do with the message, because it's the core backbone of who we are, where we're at. Check it out. So... I love God because he holistically cares about our whole life. The temptation, the bait is to think that he only cared about this time. But you have a job. For some of us, we fold envelopes, right? For some of us, we deliver mail. For some of us, we go to a plant and we press the same button over and over again. For some of us, we have a, a boss that just, uh, you, want, you know what I'm saying? You, know, you ever had one of those bosses? Like, uh, are you one of those bosses where people are like, uh, and you think it's them, but it could be you? I mean, the workplace provides all of this point of tension where we, even when Lakeidra was saying, hey, who loves work, right? Like whoever cheered, you were, I mean, either you're like in the full revelation of how God views work or you're just probably lying a little bit. But it's okay to, it's okay to kind of like speak positive things and see work differently because we have to, right? Like we have to have this glimpse and this better vision of how God sees it. But if we are truly honest, Work is like a four-letter swear word, especially growing up in America. We didn't envision growing up that this was what we would do. Like as kids, right? I get to go around and speak to kids sometimes, and we get to go rap at schools and talk to them. We always ask them, hey, what's your dreams? And the kids, not a lot of them say they want to just, you know, go work at a plant or they want to go, you know, work at the Capitol. They don't say that, but that's real life. So is God this kind of trickery or a mockery that he puts the carrot in front of us and says, hey, I got all these dreams and these passions for you, but you know what? You're going to work, and, and I don't really care about that. I only care about when you're doing spiritual things. Absolutely not. And so that's why I was so intrigued by this book, because it was re-educating me in the deepest level. Because in my head, I know that God cares about work. I know that he must care about work. And he wants to use us all, no matter how big the job is or how small the job is. He loves it. But when you really start to get the full illumination of God's original intention for work, it starts to just affect the whole course in the trajectory of where we're going. And that's what I pray happens. Today, as we continue work, work is good. It is not a four-letter swear word. And God works, and he's created us to work. We're going to look at the Genesis view of work, that money isn't the end all. It doesn't liberate it can't alleviate, but people are retired with huge, huge lumps of money, and there's huge, huge, huge voids. So lean in today. You can be rich, yet you don't have a lot. And you could be rich, yet you don't have what really matters. And what matters is Jesus, and he is the full richness of God. The art of being human is found in Genesis 2.15. 
God makes us, and here's what he did. The Lord God took the man, took us, and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Wait, that doesn't sound like, wait, does God enjoy work now? This is before we messed up. This is before the issues and the effects of sin that God created us. And then he's like, hey, I'm gonna drop you there. Here's your homeland. And I need you to work it and to keep it. Fascinating, beautiful perspective. Yes, the chief end of all of us is to glorify God. Like that is the, the, the sole purpose. It's the serene, supreme purpose of us is that we would glorify God in all we do but we can't sing kumbaya and get a paycheck all the time, right? Like Meyer, even though they got the self-checkout scans, somebody has to stock the shelves. This place, somebody has to clean it. So yes, we glorify God, but how can we glorify God in our day-to-day? And here's the biggest lie that we too often believe. We don't work to live. We think we work to live. We live to work. We don't work because we have to just to kind of provide. It was God's intent for us and his original orchestration of how he's crafted us that we would work. And work doesn't always have to look like a 40-hour punch in the week. For some of us, you know, you guys um, could be at home working a lot. You got stay-at-home moms. They work a lot. I know one. Her name's Crystal, and I watch her take care of five kids, and sometimes I just you know, create an appointment that I have to go because my tolerance isn't as, as high as hers. And I'm like, yeah, babe, I got to go. And so I'll be back in a little while. And she knows, she just looks at me and laughs. She's like, oh, okay. And I just literally just, sometimes I'll just go drive my car around the block and just sit in it and be like, wow, right? Like stay-at-home moms, they get it to another level. You could work and pray. So we don't work to live, we live to work. You were created in the image of God to rule. Check this out in Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his own image. You could marinate on just that one sentence for a lifetime. That every single person, everywhere we go, they bear the image of God. Did they have to be a Christian to be loved? In the New Testament, uh, there's, there's a day of judgment and uh, two parties stand before God. There's the, 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 you got the God separating the sheep and the goat. So you got his people and you got the people that basically aren't with him when it comes time for all of eternity. So in both parties ask the same question, like, when did we see you? And he says, well, when you fed the least of these and you gave and you loved them and you went places well, how is that possible? Like, he didn't just say when you loved Christians alone, loved my kids, that everyone bears the image of God. The outsider, quote unquote, which is me and which is you before God's grace stepped in, that's the image of God. They call this the Imago Dei, that the image of God is so beautiful that there isn't a person that we've looked at that God doesn't love, that God does not love. And yes, this is challenging to love people sometimes that are hard to love. But remember, Jesus loved us when we were hard to love. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The type of dialogue that's being communicated here is is kings and queens dialogue. This is royal dialogue. You have royal DNA. So to be made in the image of God, God is 
king, like king, I mean, for a real king, and to bear the image of a king would be like a royal DNA. You gotta see yourself as royal DNA. It's hard because we see the effects of sin. We see the shortcoming. We see the gap. We see where our constant, um, constant, like we're enemies of God. We see the effects of that. But at its source is that we bear the image of God, that we have royal DNA. You have royal DNA, royalty in your blood, genius in each one of you that God has shaped and crafted each one of us. And there's genius in you. Genius. Genius. And I, you're going to, and I'll skip ahead of just, just a minute, give a glimpse. Like there's genius in you when you hold a broom and you just sweep. You don't feel like that's genius. That's how much God cares about the smallest of details. And that's exactly what is painting here in Genesis. Genesis 1.26 says this. And then God said, so after he says, let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish. Okay, so this is kind of where people start to take this a little too far. They're like, I got dominion. I'm a king's kid. I'm a son of the God. I'm a son of the most high. Everywhere I go, he's blessed. I'm blessed. I'm oh, sorry. That's kind of how it comes off to me sometimes. I'm blessed. Everywhere I go, he's blessed. I'm blessed. And you're like, wow, like, what are you talking about? Okay, so if you've met that person, just put him off or her off to the side for a minute. That's cool. Whatever, however they get their mojo. I'll tell you what, when I start thinking dominion, I start thinking I get arrogant. I think I run the show. I think that I'm dominating in my own power, but that's not what's going on here. There's power, but there's power that God has given, and there is dominion, and he's created us in his image. So this is very, very important to how you'll see yourself and how you see yourself interacting. So let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens. You ever thought why we rule, the, we rule all the elements? Like what gives us the rights and privileges to go dig for oil? It's this. What gives us the rights and privileges to cut down a forest? It's this. What gives us the rights and privileges to, you know, look at animals and then and, and actually, you know, I mean, eat animals, right? It's this. Now, before the fall, though, we did talk about last week, we were vegan, so it's okay. It wasn't God's original design. We're vegan. Plant-based diets are awesome. I'm serious. I just read another article. Aaron Rodgers lost like 20 pounds. He's going to be playing at 218 for the Packers. He doesn't eat any more cheese, which is crazy, right? The Green Bay Packers, and he's not going to be eating cheese. But anyways, he wants to prolong his uh, playing career. So the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Dominion. Check this out. Dominion equals rule. So some translations will say that you were created to rule. Like as a king and as a queen, like you were created to rule. And I love this too. You were created to dominate. That's what it means. Dominion, rule, dominate. We're in partnership with God. The Christian worldview is so fascinating because it's not that we're in this lower tier and God's like, hey, look down on you, you imbeciles. I, I, I want to see you work really hard. You're pathetic. Uh, go work this land. It couldn't happen this way. It started in a garden, but it ends in a city. Well, how was it going to get there? Us being mini creators, just like God, creating houses, learning the atmosphere and how the longitude and latitude all those patterns and then planes going all across the globe. God knew that. When we think to dominate and to rule, that's the type of imagery that we're partners with God created in his image forever. 
co-laborers to dominate as dominion. Verse 28 says this, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So we're getting our posture. We got the image of God in us, royalty. We've been told to go dominate. And then here's like the job description. This is called the cultural mandate. And then God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish and of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the ground. So we subdue. When we think of that word, what do you think of? Subdue means this. It's simply that we would exploit We would enslave, abuse, tame something this wild and bring order out of chaos. And I love this part, bring harmony out of discord. So there is times where we're like, you know, we're gonna dig this land, but we're trying to create harmony. We're not just gonna leave it destroyed forever because we ultimately believe it's a view of stewardship, meaning this, there's an owner, he put me in charge, I'm not the owner. He's going to come back and he's going to see how we took care of his stuff, his planet, his earth, but we're allowed to go and run and dream and create and multiply, subdue, fill the earth. You have power from God to subdue and multiply. You have power from God to subdue and multiply. So everywhere you go, if you got a little garden at your house, you're subduing and multiplying. If you got some kids, you're multiplying. You're going to Home Depot and you're thinking of new ways to create things, you're doing this. And you can use this power for good or bad. And you can look out at all the course of history that there's been good kings and there's been bad kings. There's been good people that have used this power and there's been bad ones, right? And we want those that are good in office that can help us live peaceable lives that we could serve Jesus better. But we get to do this on a mini scale every single day as we're the head of our household or that we're uh, serving people at our job and serving one another. And when we think as how we are going to multiply and fill the earth with this hard, hard work that really is an opportunity that's before us. So it's an opportunity to create churches, community centers, schools, food distribution centers, government, social services. That's all in this. That's, that's the essence of what's taking place here in Genesis. That's where God sees it going. Is God naive that he knew that we would be in a building like this? Like he made a garden. And the garden, it talks about that it, we see it as just kind of this kumbaya, just easy, chill experience, but it was untamed yet. That God had, he, he created man to work it. So it's gonna be a job, they have to work it. It's so interesting that, the, that we're created from dust and yet our first job is a gardener. So there's like this relationship between man and the ground. There's this relationship, like we eat, right, from the ground. We eat from the ground. And there's this relationship that God wanted us to have from the very get-go, very get-go. Check it out, in Genesis 2:19. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of heaven and brought them to the man. This is so cool to see what he would call them. Who's here is named a dog? Throttle, anyone got a crazy name, named a dog? What do you got? What do you, what, what's your dog name? What? Kuma, that's a good one. Anyone got a crazy name? Like, you know, anyone like named their dog Elizabeth? You know, those people that got the dog that's like, you know, the human name, right? Somebody's got that. Somebody's got the human name dog here. You got one named Noah? Sorry, Noah, where's Noah? Someone's got the human name dog. How you doing, Dan? Dude, congratulations, dude. We got teacher of the year right here, Dan Carr. This is awesome. Come on. I saw a picture of you with Tom Izzo. That's phenomenal. Dang, brother. You're such a good man. Such a good man. He's always putting in work when nobody sees. 
And it was so cool to see God honor you. And I know you never look for that kind of thing, but you've been investing in youth in this city for a really long time. Thank you. You're a hero of mine and to many. They start naming uh, animals. So Adam's naming them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. I love this because it's showing that partnership mindset. Okay, you seen that? You seen this partnership mindset that God has for us. Genesis 2, 7, 9. And then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God, and we're kind of jumping around just so you can kind of get this picture here. Planted a garden in Eden in the east. East is thought of as holy things even to this day. People pray to the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, this is really important, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Scholars debate about this pretty intensely because it's written that pleasant to the sight is first and then good for food. In the order of how things are just, uh, or, or are communicated and written is really important because it puts an emphasis on a particular viewpoint. And what is happening here is it put an emphasis on the sight of God's creation. When people are like, I just love to go walk on the trails and I love to look at the river. And it's just so beautiful. You get a glimpse of God. Oh, that tree looks amazing. We got these trees that only for like, it turns, they all turn white, like in some of our neighborhoods and it's just gone in like a week. So for like that week, it's awesome. And then it's gone. But it was amazing, and it points to God. And so God is okay with just the aesthetic of how things look. This is why art is so uh, captivating for people. It can show the beauty of God. It's Eden-type work. Eden means delight. Your work is to create Eden, delight glimpses. And it could be as simple as just aesthetically pleasing, that you could take pride in your car, and it looks so clean and pristine that it points to the glory of God. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that by our work that we can earn God's love or we can earn salvation, but we can reflect his beauty. We can look at ourselves as dreamers. And this work, this word of work is the same word that's used oftentimes for worship. That work is worship. I don't know about you, but like cleaning cars didn't feel like worship. I don't know about you, but selling copiers and knocking on people's doors didn't feel like worship. Like, I don't know how many times I got told no soliciting. And I, here's my, here was always my reply. I, I don't, I, I don't, I got a shirt and shoes. What do you mean? You know, the signs that say no shirt, no shoes, no service. <laughs> she always look at me still here. It was most of the time a woman. Uh, and I'm like, and I just kind of, we just do the awkward stare for a while. And then at that point, they will at least listen to what I had to say. Cause it was just like, okay, you're so weird that what are you here for? Okay, look, I sell copiers. Who's your copier person? I know you don't want to talk to anybody. Here's some candy. And then we'd leave. One time we were leaving and I, we walked into a door because <laughs> there was a glass. Anyways, so, so I didn't feel like worship. I didn't feel like worship. It didn't, but it was. It was worship and it still is worship. The work, the emails, the paperwork, it's worship. Getting things ready, the slides, it's worship to God. It's worship like when we sang with our hands raised. It's worship. It's worship to God. And if we would get this view more, I think we'd be more liberated. I think we'd be more fun. I think we'd be more alive. 
Because why does Satan want to keep selling us this dream that's not real? Why do we turn on the TV show and we don't think we don't have to work? It's the biggest lie ever. It doesn't happen like that. You don't come to Jesus and then you don't have to work. In fact, you come to Jesus and oftentimes you work harder because things get tougher because the enemy doesn't like you winning. He doesn't want you with him. He doesn't want you with Jesus. He doesn't want you connected and he wants to punk you out and he's gonna show up with some serious tactics and he's gonna dominate his plan but we need to dominate our plan in the power of Christ. And that's what happens. It's beautiful. <laughs> to make a garden-like world is to draw out its potential. It's Eden-type work. Stay-at-home moms do this all the time. Developing children, drawing out the potential. Loving, taking care of the household. Post office workers, delivering mail so that we can get valuable information from one place to another. Copy centers employees. GM workers, fast food workers, it's all important. Who here's ate fast food before? Come on, anybody? Anybody? That's right, everybody, we all have. The worst thing is when somebody doesn't care that you're there to eat it, right? Like, I get it, it's, it's fast food, but sometimes, for my case right now, it's like a $40 event. Like, there's so many human beings, I can't believe it. Like, I'm spending $40 at this place right now, and everyone's mad that I came here. I'm like, can we just, like, I just sometimes wanna say, I was like, hey, uh, I know, I know I'm at, you know, I don't even want to say a fast food. I, I know I'm here, but can we treat it like it's, you know, five star? Can we just, cause can we, I spent all this money. I want to at least feel like I left with a steak, something, something. And it's true because ultimately we have to ask this type of question. What will our work say about our love for God and people? People is the prized possession. Does your work bring to light to God and people somehow? And as we're going every day, we can disciple. There's, there's this sacred and secular viewpoint that we think that God is only interested in the spiritual life and he's not interested in life. Newsflash, God created it all. It's all spiritual. It's all his. And so he cares about it all. Bach, a very, very, very popular composer. He composed over thousands of songs and he always wrote SDG. It meant solo de gloria. And glory to God alone. What's so interesting about his music, there's no lyrics. But people would hear it and want to glorify God. And he was composing it, believing that he glorified God. So I hope that that's encouraging to somebody because your day-to-day, -day, you don't get to talk about Jesus a lot, but you can still work unto the Lord and love people through your job. Like a dentist, they don't, I'm glad the dentist, when I had a few crowns, I'm glad they don't write Jesus on my teeth if they're a Christian, right? Like, well, I have to. I gotta explicitly be Christian. I gotta be loud and proud about it. I just want a dentist to do their job. And that glorifies God. And thank God that I know dentists that serve the Lord and they do their job very fitting and very well. And I can see the beauty of God through their work. That work can be worship. You don't have to be in full-time ministry. You are in full-time ministry. God calls us a royal priesthood. So you can be in all the time, all in for Jesus. And you have got to dream again. You've got to dream again, even at your current job. Dream again of how you can take care of God's people. Dream again about the job that you don't have yet and where you want to work and what that looks like and what that Eden experience could look like. Dream again of what you're called to do. You're all different, created uniquely by God. So it's okay to dream again. And here's a good filter that I've used in my life that I've learned. I, I remember Pastor Dave teaching on this and it's a beautiful dream filter. And what it is is this. It needs to be bigger than you so that God gets the glory. Two, it's gotta build people because that's what he cares about. And then three, it's gotta advance the kingdom of God. 
his mission, specifically Jesus' bride, the local church. In some way, shape, or form, all of our jobs can do that. Simply as, you know, us having capital that we can love our family and we can provide and we can help disciple an area and we can love on Lansing and we can love the city. We've got a sports camp coming up in the first week of July and it's gonna be beautiful. It's an opportunity for us to rent out the school, invite everyone that's K through nine for the first 200 kids that can show up and we're gonna do a free sports camp for kids in the city and then a party for family members to come on Saturday night. Why? Because we just want people to come and know that they're made in the image of God. We're going to put in a lot of work. Rhett and the team are putting in a lot of work. Why? You guys have been generous in your giving. It's why. Why? Because we love people here at City Life. We're intimately connected to what God is building here. He's building something beautiful. And as we close, I want to close with this verse in Colossians 3. Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. So in all of our jobs, we're serving God. We are serving God. That work is worship. Martin Luther King Jr. has a quote. It says this, If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed or as Shakespeare wrote poetry. I mean, real talk, like, sweeping my floor doesn't feel like Beethoven's work equivalent. But I love this revelation that he has. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. At Fairview Elementary, there's a um, uh, crosswalk guard and this dude is faithful as the day is long. I don't know, he's probably, I don't know, 70s, would you say, sir? Probably in the 70s. So it's obviously, his, it's, it's not the bulk of his career force. He's just doing it to invest, give back. I'm sure they're not paying him millions. And it's a real busy street. Like, really busy. Like, not cool busy. Like, dangerous busy. And he just, all the time, just walks out there to the stop sign, smile at people. And he just takes one for the team so the kids can walk through. And the parents... It doesn't matter if you're driving something with, like, you got 24s and you got bass. He'll just walk right in front of you. Just drop that stop sign. He'll blaze that on you, and he'll just walk right back. And he pretty much only says hi to anyone who's, like, in the school, because that's who he's there for. And he's doing his job well. Like, really, really well. I've been inspired this whole year. Just him walking me across the street. I've been so convicted I haven't jaywalked ever if that dude's out. Like, seriously, I park so far away sometimes, I will walk all the way there just so I can, like, abide, you know, because I need to obey because he is reflecting God's glory, God's glory through work and through worship, and he's smiling. There should be a thin glass between heaven and earth when we work, that we go and that we remember that in our jobs and in GM, the government, the fast food, the cleaning services, it all is that we are partners with God. From graphics design to engineering to correction officers, all of it, we are modeling God. So if God made you to paint, then go paint. If God made you to serve pizzas, go serve pizzas. And if God made you to be a mechanic, electrician, builder, then go for it. Because work is not a four-letter swear word. Work is good. Work is good. 
And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it because work is good. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word that recalibrates us, um, recalibrates us to, to um, what you originally created. Someone that's thinking, well, yeah, I get it, uh, but life's hard. Well, what about the fall? Well, that's next week. <laughs> there's pain and there's pressure, but I pray that you'd be captivated by his love story of how he's created us and that he wants us to be in relationship with him and that he's created you in his image to go dominate, to worship him all the time in all that you do. You may start small, but remembering that God is our boss is the most convicting thing, that God is our boss. And as we're serving people and interacting with people and we don't feel like it's some days and maybe it's we ask for help, maybe it's we take two minutes and go pray, maybe it's where we have to open up your word, get in the Bible at lunch, and I pray that you'd be pulling your kids close, that they would see that you've created them and you want to work through them and they would dream again. They would dream that work can be good. They would work faithfully for some $8 an hour, for some much more, but we would just be faithful that you see it all. And God, I pray for people here that walked in this place and maybe they don't know you yet as Lord and Savior. I pray that they would give up sin and they would see the greatest work that you ever displayed. It was to build the bridge to get us back home with you again. To build the bridge and get us back home with you again. But we gotta come through your son. I pray that people would give up their own work and their own lives and they see the destruction and the pain that they've created. They see the sin. They say, God, forgive me. Take me as I am. And I pray that they would feel the love of Jesus Christ, wrap them up and give them a new start so they can be brand new in you. And then to go walk out that life and to get rooted here in city life or get rooted anywhere that your bride is moving and alive. So we thank you for this family. We thank you for this time. We thank you for re-educating us and reshaping us and, and teaching us all as you are the pastor, Jesus. Thank you for your grace today. Thank you for your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the City Life Lansing podcast. Loving you and loving the city one life at a time. For more information, messages, and to partner financially, go to citylifelansing.com. You belong here.